Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So we're, we're, um, we're going through the book of Esther and we're wrapping it up and, and next week I'll be wrapping, wrapping this book up. The title today is Tongue in Cheek a little bit. It's God Works Through Interesting Timing and Coincidences. In October 2013, I've always wanted to go see, <clears throat> to go to like Vermont and see the fall foliage, and I just always had this romantic notion in my mind of, of what that would look like. Someday, when the girls are out of the house, Kara's going to get on the back of my motorcycle, and we're going to ride the motorcycle to Vermont. But this time, we had to take, I think, a minivan. But we went to Vermont, and we stayed at an Airbnb, and while we were there, some of the highlights is we... We walked up this very narrow trail that edged up against a very steep drop-off. And we were going at this time to see a waterfall, and there was like loose gravel. It, it looked like it didn't look very secure. And we had these little, our little daughters were young, and they were running all over the place, and they were getting really close to the edge, we were trying to corral them and grab their hands, and it felt really dangerous, but we got to the top, and we saw this waterfall, and it was absolutely stunning and beautiful. And then another day, we, we took another path that was similar to that, and we, we opened up to, we got to the top of it, and there's this beautiful, beautiful vista of just <clears throat> this gorgeous view of the, the trees and the different different colored leaves, and it was stunning. And actually, um, we have a picture of that too. I think we have a picture of that. Could you put that picture up? This is the picture I took of Abby and, and Kara and Mackenzie, and they're all just enjoying. Can you guys see that okay? Or is it, yeah, it's just this amazing, majestic view. But to get there felt dangerous. To get there felt like we could we could get in some serious trouble. We could step in some landmines here that one of us could get seriously hurt. But the view. Today we're talking about the providence of God. And it is a huge doctrine. It's a beautiful doctrine. It's also fraught with landmines on the way there. So what I want to do today is just very gingerly, carefully, cautiously walk with you up this path to the beautiful view that is the providence of God. And nothing has brought me more peace, stability, joy, um, ease of mind than beginning to understand this doctrine. It's the providence of God. If you're following your notes, that's the only note today. It's, that's the only fill in the blank, providence. The providence of God. Now, this is a hard thing to explain. Um, I'm not going to be able to explain it in half an hour. I'm not even going to get close. I'm not going to be able to explain it in two weeks. We could take a year and talk about it, and I would have a hard time explaining it fully. If you're interested, there's a book by John Piper called Providence. It's a huge book. And it's probably the best, most accessible and readable book on God's providence available today. It's a huge book. But if you want to study this further on your own, if this whets your appetite, then feel free to, to get that. You can get all of John Piper's books for free online. The Providence is what it's called. 
So because I'm not going to be able to cover the whole thing, I mean, he spends 600 pages talking about it, I'm going to, and it's hard to give a real direct definition of it, so I'm going to give a few people's ideas on what the providence of God is. And so these are in your notes. If you don't have your notes, and if we ran out by the time you got here, you can email me and I'll send you, I'll email you a copy of these notes. The first way that we can understand the providence of God is it's God's gracious oversight of the universe. God's gracious oversight of the universe. It's God overseeing very graciously everything that happens, everything that happens in this universe that he created. The second way to think about this is the doctrine of God's providence is really a combination of four other attributes. Sovereignty, which just means he's in control. God is in control. Predestination, that's a big scary word for a lot of people. It's a biblical word. Um, it, in this case, it means he's in charge of how every, everything turns out. So you have a God that's all-powerful and a God that's in charge of how everything turns out. And then you have wisdom. He's also a God that makes no mistakes. He knows everything. He sees the whole perspective. And that illustration of the elephant where you're just like seeing a leg or a part of the elephant's tail. He sees the whole elephant. He sees all of it. So he has a broader and wider and perfect perspective of everything that's happening. And then he's good. He has our best interest at heart. If he was all those things but he wasn't a good and loving God, that would be very scary. But the fact that he's good and that he's gracious and he's compassionate and he's loving holds all of these things together. And it's the reason that we can rest in and celebrate providence. Uh, John MacArthur has, a, has a, uh, a saying that I think is also very helpful about God's providence. He says, providence is a term that has to do with God not interfering with the normal processes of life, but orchestrating all of those contingencies and all of those thoughts and actions to affect exactly what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants, where he wants. I think what he captures well there is that God is able to orchestrate and use everything. We, you've heard me say this before, God shoots straight with a crooked stick. It means if you don't parent perfectly, God can use that still for your good, for your kid's good, for the good of the kingdom. He can use everything, even our mistakes. Even our sins, he uses those things. It's not a permission, it's not a license to sin, but it is not trusting in your own ability to be perfect, but in God's ability to make everything turn to good. Providence is a huge, important doctrine. The reason this can be a bit dangerous is because if you misunderstand the providence of God, then you begin to think that humans don't have any agency. In other words, if God's in control of everything, then that means I don't have any responsibility or any part in this. But the problem with that is you're solving a tension. God puts a tension in the Bible. You know what the tension is? He's in charge of everything that happens. And you're responsible. What, what happens when you try to solve a tension in the Bible that God doesn't give you allowance to solve? You create false teaching. You create a heresy. And what God is saying is, I'm in charge and you're responsible. 
And if you saw the goodness in that, you would rejoice even more. Because that's actually not burdensome. That's actually, it frees you to not obsess about making mistakes. It frees you to not be legalistic. It frees you to show up to church as you actually are. If you're grumpy, then show up grumpy. That's where you are that day. God's going to use even your grumpiness. Frees you to make mistakes. That this is a big one for me right now. Parenting teenage daughters. I'm I'm learning all the things you're not supposed to do. I'm finding all of them. <laughs> Every single one of them. And God is saying, "Yeah." And I'm in charge. And keep trying to do better. That's God's providence. I don't lose any sleep over it because it's not up to me. The pressure is removed. All right, so here's what I want to do. We're going we're gonna to just, by the end of the series, you are going to know Esther so much because we're talking about it so much. If, you, if this is your first time here, we're so glad you're here. Um, you can go back and search Southside Worcester in your podcast and listen to that. You can go on our website, southsideworcester.com, and listen to the previous uh, talks about Esther. Um, but we're, we're really, really glad you're here. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we're, we're just a bunch of people trying to figure it out together. So we don't, we don't believe that just because someone has a microphone means that they're an expert in anything. There are no experts in this church. You guys know that by now. But if you're a visitor, that might be refreshing to know that I screw up and everyone up here has screwed up multiple times and still will. We're on the path together. Here's Esther. Very quickly, since we spent a lot of time talking about Esther, very quickly, we're going to go through and we're going to pump the brakes at some of the coincidences so that we can see the providence of God. Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. And yet you can see his hand so clearly in everything that happens. All right, the book of Esther begins with the king throwing a party. And then he brings his wife to the party, or he asks his wife, the queen, to come to the party. And she says, no. I don't blame her because he wants to show her off. He gets really mad. She's no longer his queen. He decides to pick a new queen. So what does he do? He throws a beauty pageant. Enter Esther. Esther is being raised by her cousin Mordecai. She wins the beauty pageant. She's picked to be the queen. And here, I mean, we just flew up to Esther 2, 21 through 23. We're going to look at coincidence number one, all right? This is in your notes. If you don't have your notes, ask me later. But if you're following along in Scripture, this is Esther 2, Esther 2, 21 through 23. This is coincidence number one. This is Mordecai is in the right place at the right time. In God's providence, Mordecai just happens to be standing in a position where he can hear two of the king's servants planning a plot to overthrow him, to kill the king, to lay hands on him. So I'll read it. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, big thing in Teresh, I guess that's how you say it, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, Esther's father figure. And he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai, when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. There's some amazing things that happened there, some amazing coincidences. Not only was Mordecai there, 
in the right place at the right time to hear this plot against the king. He was able to tell Esther, who had become queen, who was able to tell the king. And because of that, he would one day be recorded. They didn't want to forget that he saved the king's life, so they wrote it in a book where they record all the things that happened in the kingdom. Haman's promoted. Haman's evil, bad guy, bad dude. He's promoted and he celebrates by walking around town. The king says everybody has to bow down to him. And guess who doesn't bow down? Mordecai does not bow down to him. Mordecai gets, well, Haman gets really angry, convinces the king to kill all the Jewish people because he found out that Mordecai and Esther are Jewish. Mordecai tells Esther, you can stop this. You can do something about this. You, you are the queen. Maybe God put you in that position for a reason. Esther summons up courage by having people pray for her and fasting, and she goes before the king. She tells, she tells the king she wants to throw him and Haman a banquet. She wants to throw them a party. She, Haman goes home. He's joyful. He's excited that he gets to go before the king. He's excited that he's having a banquet thrown for him. And on the way, he passes Mordecai again. And Mordecai doesn't bow down. And he's like, you know, I could be second in command of this kingdom, and the fact that that guy's still alive bugs me. Coincidence number two, Esther 5.14 Haman builds a 75-foot pole to kill Mordecai. Then Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows 50 cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. So a 75-foot pole, he's actually going to be impaled on it, not hung. He's going to be impaled on this pole. He's going to have Mordecai impaled on it. He likes the idea. Mordecai is going to pay for not bowing down to him. He, he's just like, I'm going to tell the king first thing tomorrow morning, before we have this banquet, I'm going to make sure, make sure the king hears this plan. We can kill Mordecai. I'll feel great. I'll be able to celebrate. It'll be great. Coincidence number two, Haman gets up in the morning and he goes, to tell, he goes to prepare to tell the king. Esther 6, 1 through 3, the king requests a bedtime story because he can't sleep. So, Zeresh convinces Haman to devise this plan to kill Mordecai and then he goes to bed. Meanwhile, the king in his palace is restless just coincidentally, he can't sleep. And he asks for, to help him go to sleep to have some bedtime stories read to him. And we see in Esther 6, 1 through 3, that they get out the chronicles, all the events that happened in the kingdom. They get out the book of Chronicles, not the book of Chronicles in the Bible. And they just so happen coincidentally to open up to the page where it talks about Mordecai saving his life. And he's like, we got to do something for that guy. We never rewarded him. Coincidence number four, Esther 6, 4 through 6a, Haman gets picked to honor Mordecai publicly. So here we see the king is like, man, we got to reward Mordecai. 
Haman's going in to tell the king, man, we got to kill Mordecai. The king says, we got to have someone official honor this guy. So who's out in the courtyard? Is anybody around that we can have honor this guy? And his servant says, yeah, actually, Haman's out there. Bring him in. Haman, what would you do if you wanted to really honor someone? If the king was going to honor someone, what would that look like? Haman's like, oh, he's talking about me. So he goes all in. He tells the king exactly what he would do. And the king says, that's perfect. Go do that for Mordecai. Now, what was it that you were going to talk with me about? (laughs) Haman parades Mordecai through town. He goes home devastated. His wife says, if Mordecai is Jewish, you're in trouble. I think she's starting to understand this is God's people. God's hand is on them, and this is, a, this is all a big mistake. And he's probably like, you're the one that told me to have him killed. Like, thank you for the support. One of the comforts of God's providence is that he will bring about justice for every wrong thing that has ever happened to you. Every act of evil committed against you, every plan for your harm, every plot devised against you, every word of gossip spread about you, every word of slander said about you, everything will be exposed and made right by a just God who sees everything in his time and in his way. You don't have to worry about defending yourself. You don't have to be bothered that people are gossiping about you. You don't have to worry about people trying to do harm to you. God will take care of you. It's a marvelous way to live. It frees us to simply focus on loving others instead, especially our enemies. We can just love them because God's going to handle it. It's not up to you to defend yourself. It's not up to you to make things right. God has taken on that responsibility. At the feast, Esther tells the king about the plot to destroy her people. And the king's like, what? Your people? What are you talking about? Who who made this plot? And she said, him! Sitting right there. I'm glad no one was sitting right there because that would have been very awkward. But that guy right there, Haman, He's the one that decided he convinced you to make this plot against the Jewish people and to kill all of us. The king is angry. Storms out. Haman's like, I am in major trouble. Coincidence number five, Esther 7, 7 and 8. Haman, actually in begging for his life, trips and falls onto the couch where Queen Esther is in at that moment, the king walks back in. It's like, oh, not only are you plotting to kill my wife and all the Jewish people, you are also assaulting my wife. And the people came in and put a, a hood over his face and ushered him out, and the rest is history. Haman is impaled on the, king, on the, the pole that he devised to kill Mordecai. Mordecai is elevated to second in command of the kingdom. And the Jewish people are feared everywhere they go because the power of God is on them. Providence. No one can stop 
what God has decided to do. The doctrine of providence makes an outrageous promise to everyone in Christ, and everyone is invited to the table. Everyone is invited to put their faith in Christ. And here's the promise. Everything that happens to you, everything that you do, every mistake that you make, I'll turn it to good. Romans 8.28, if you, if you don't memorize verses, that's a good one to start with. You'll get a lot of mileage out of it. It means what it sounds like it means, and it also means more. It's, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It's Romans 8.28. You write it down and memorize it. It's, it's a verse that I think about a couple times every single day. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I want to end this talk by looking at a little, a little neat little chart I made for us today. And it's comparing three common ways that we think about the stuff that happens to us in life. The first one is fate. The second one is human responsibility alone with no God involvement. And the third is God's providential oversight, which includes human responsibility. So the first question is, what determines the events of your life? If you believe in fate, I mean, this is like astrology. This is... Um, it's, it's your life is determined by an impersonal force. It, it's the idea that maybe, maybe you do believe in God, but you also kind of believe in fate, like God wound up the universe and he just kind of sits back and watches and sees what happens. It's an, it's an impersonal force, even if that impersonal force's name is God to you. What determines the events of your life if you believe in human responsibility alone? Well, your life is determined by you alone. Unfortunately, your life is determined by other people, too, who might want to do harm to you. You can't get out of that one. And you might be able to protect yourself. You might be able to protect your family, but you're not always with them. If it's up to you, you're in trouble. It's a lot of pressure. It's a dangerous thing to believe. But if you believe in God's providential oversight, you believe that your life is determined by an all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, loving Father. It's all over Scripture. It's almost in every page of Scripture. Examples of this. Your life is determined by an all-wise, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, loving Father, that's what determines the course of your life when you are in Christ. So how should we view the good or bad things that happen to us? If we're, if we're living by fate, the things that happen to you are random and without meaning and may be harmful to you and your loved ones. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it's an impersonal thing. It's an impersonal power or force that's just randomly playing with you in your life. It's a weird thing to believe. I mean, it's, a, it's kind of an en vogue thing to believe, and it's a weird thing to believe when you actually start thinking about it. There's a lot of things that are really cool to believe when you're learning about it in college, and then you see it, and you begin to think about it, and it doesn't make sense. 
This is one of those. What about if you believe in human responsibility? How should we view the good or bad things that happen to you? Well, it's, it's all up to you. It's up to your limited knowledge. It's up to your, most of the decisions you make about life are best guesses. Um, it's up to your limited self-discipline. Some people are more disciplined than others. It looks like they got their life together, but they actually don't because you're, if it's human self-discipline, it's only in a couple areas. If it's spiritually empowered self-discipline, you're disciplined in every area, relationally, emotionally, mentally, every area. It's all up to you, though. But if you believe in God's providential oversight, the things that happen to you only happen with God's permission, with the comforting assurance that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I, I used to be scared to fly. Actually, I used to be scared to go in elevators. This is when I was really little. That's a really weird one. But as I grew older, it got more sophisticated, and I, I felt like I was trapped when I would get in an airplane. Like, there's no way, if an airplane falls out of the sky, there's no way I'm surviving this thing. And I, I don't understand the physics of how this thing is in the air right now. It, doesn't, it makes no sense to me. So I would get really, really paranoid about that. I'd get really scared about it. But now, the more I understood the providence of God, I don't get scared to fly anymore. I mean, it touches the really nitty-gritty aspects of your life. I'm not afraid to fly anymore because I'm, I think if this, if this plane goes down, God's allowing it to happen. He's going to use it for my good because I'll be with Jesus and everybody else is good. So I actually don't have to worry about it. It's okay. Plane goes down. All right. I'm ready. It actually is that practical. All right. What responsibility or control do we have? If it's fate, you have very little you're simply a, a speck of dust and a dangerously playful and personal power, power that is unconcerned with your ultimate well-being. What control do you have if it's human responsibility? Well, it's all up to you. <laughs> no pressure. Make something really amazing out of your life and it's all up to you. Every outcome, every relationship, every circumstance, if you lack in any area, if you have a deficit in any area, discipline, smarts, relational intelligence, whatever, you're in trouble. Good luck. This is what we teach, though. This is kind of the American way. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Doesn't work. Sounds really good on night commercials, but it doesn't work. It's silly. It's funny. But you put dramatic music behind it, and you show people work re working really hard in a commercial, and it's just like... It gets you really excited, and then you start thinking about the pressure that that puts on your life, and it's impossible. What responsibility or control do we have if we believe in God's providential oversight? To grow in wisdom, that's our responsibility. To grow in our ability to see what God is doing around us and proactively join him, resulting in great joy and peace. We don't have to force things. We don't have to make it happen. It's not up to us. The pressure is removed. We simply, we, we look at what's working in our lives and we water it. We look at the different places in our lives where God is growing something and we water it. We join him in his activity, in his work. When we planted the church, I refused to take on the responsibility to grow a church. Every church planting book is going to try to convince you this is up to you. And our Alex and I from the beginning and Kara and I determined we are not taking on that crazy. 
it's God's choice. We're going to do the best we can. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We still feel that way. Because it's not my responsibility to grow a church. That's Jesus' job. That's what he says he does. All I'm going to do is pay attention to what he's doing and just join him joyfully without pressure. And we're not going to knock it out of, park, out of the park every Sunday. And that's okay. Because God is building us into a community of people who love one another with a force that speaks for itself. Because Jesus is behind it. This makes our life flow with greater force and deeper rest. Finally, how does this impact our view about life right now and life in the future? If you believe in fate, good luck. If you believe in human responsibility alone, good luck. Survival of the fittest. And it ends really bad. But if you believe in God's providential oversight, you will walk through life saying things like what my, my wife quotes. I forget who originally said this. But you'll say things like, all is well and all ends well, no matter what's happening around you. That's the potential of believing in the providence of God. All is well. All will end well. You won't be the type of person that just vibrates with anxiety about having to have everything go perfectly well. That's called a neurosis. You'll be calm, calmer, more joyful, more at rest, more accepting of the lot that God has given you, more content, more effective, more winsome, easier to be around all those things that define the fruit of the Spirit of God. Christians believe that everything will turn out infinitely better than anything we could have dreamed or imagined, and that's 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. If you're a Christian, you believe in providence, everything turns out great, and you don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> that's legitimately, genuinely what the providence of God can do for you. Now, we're going to spend the rest of our life moving in that direction, and none of us will ever be there consistently, but that's the potential. That's enough. It's good for today, isn't it? It's enough for today. Next week, we'll talk about providence again, and I'm going to talk a little bit more specifically about how it has is, it is helped me to just be more at rest, less controlling, less neurotic, all those things that make life enjoyable and serene and good and fruitful. All those things that enable you to do hard work in the right ways in partnership with God instead of the anxious toil of you trying to make it all happen. It's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you, Jesus, that you've taken responsibility to build your church. Thank you that you take responsibility to take things that are said into a microphone that are amplified into people's ears. It, you take the responsibility to take those things and make them understandable. Your spirit helps 
me speak in a way that's actually clear, and then your spirit speaks to each of us individually, making it powerful. Your spirit applies these things that are spoken to our hearts. So I pray as we're dipping, literally just dipping our toes into a huge, beautiful doctrine that you would make it personal for each of us, that every person in here who has ears to hear would feel a concrete rest, would feel a genuine relief in some area of their life where they feel the freedom to trust in you, in your goodness, in your power, in your wisdom, in your providence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.